Hello and welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at Earsports.com. It is late on a Saturday night for me and for my guest here in a moment, Chris Anderson. It is sometime Sunday. You have woken up, rubbed your eyes, pop two Advil. West Virginia is one and O, which is maybe not surprising, but is certainly better than the alternative. A win over James Madison to start the season that was either too close to comfort or very close to what you expected. Concerns, questions, everything like that abounds after a first game. But we're going to try to sort through that and solve all the world's problems right now. But I need some help, so I'm going to welcome in and see if he caught the garter. Chris Anderson. (laughs) I'm doing all right, Mike. I am far too old and far too married to catch the garter. So uh, I'm just here to talk football. Uh, It was an interesting opening week. I... There's a lot to kind of take in from this, kind of not sure where we go from here, what to, uh, first week's always difficult. What what do you take from that? What's what's going to carry over for the rest of the season? We've seen West Virginia get off to a slow start in the season opener before, and it mean nothing. We've seen them get off to a slow start, and it be the sign of something a whole lot worse. Um, I, I guess, well, let's start there. I'm going to throw it back at you. What? Which one of those is this for you? Is this a sign of problems for the future or just kind of shaking off rust of a first game, first starters, first coach, first a lot of things? Yeah, I don't know if it was very surprising. To be honest with you, it kind of followed a script. I mean, not play-by-play or whatever, word-for-word even, but everything that you have a concern about manifests itself out there, and everything you probably felt good about kind of came through. The opponent's pretty good and is probably – more advanced in a developmental state than West Virginia is. But, you know, talent and numbers kind of does matter. So while an FCS team can give West Virginia a scare, you kind of saw some FBS advantages, particularly um, with the defensive line. And I think really a volume of snaps that just added up and kind of cost James Madison. What's encouraging, though, is that I think the defense really did perform well enough to win the game. And I think in some situations, Neil Brown made some calls where he said, hey, we got a good thing going and this defense is going to win. And that's by and large what happened. But there's obviously some things that you were concerned about that you still are. Um, You thought this might be a problem and it actually is. And I think there's some other things that you weren't certain if it will be problematic and you thought it had potential to be good and it's not quite there yet. And some things have to happen. Um, My big takeaway though, is that West Virginia will be 4-0 now. <laughs> As I listen and read like a whole bunch of different <laughs> opinions, just because Missouri goes to Wyoming, which is not a fun or easy place to play and loses, um, that all of a sudden West Virginia will be 4-0 going into that meat grinder in the middle of the season of Texas, Iowa State, and Oklahoma. So, wow, things really change quickly, don't they? Yeah, I'm not ready to just all of a sudden chalk up that Missouri game to a win yet. I'm with you. Uh, that's... That's tough, but I, I'm also with you with the things kind of turned out. It was closer than I think many people felt comfortable with, but it did turn out that, that like you like you mentioned, that the things you were expecting did happen. Things you were expecting to be a trouble were, were a problem. Uh, West Virginia's defense, I predicted before the season, I said some goals for this, for this defense, for the Big Koenig's defense is – they're going to force some turnovers, but they're also going to get 
kind of gashed and, and beat on these plays where the opposing offense it takes takes advantage of their aggressiveness. And this defense forced three turnovers, but there were times where JMU kind of just chunked yardage. Uh, that, that touchdown drive in the first half where it was just, what was it, seven plays, 80-plus yards, and it seemed like every play was going nine, ten yards, whatever they wanted to do, whether it was run, whether it was pass, over the middle, to the outside. They just did what they what they pleased, but then the defense would just force a turnover. Um, or get a sack or get a tackle for loss. And I think that is what everybody needs to become accustomed to with this defense, and they saw it today. They were disruptive at times when they wanted to and without bringing a ton of pressure. It wasn't anything very exotic. It was mostly four-man pressure, and you know you get a fifth behind it sometimes. I think the idea going into the game was to, to see if you can make Danucci you know, see through the clouds and, and get it into tight windows. I, I was kind of surprised that they did not have more playmakers or made plays at receiver. I don't know if that was the coverage being pretty good. I thought I actually thought Washington and Bailey, by and large, had pretty good games. Um, Bailey had one hit, one hiccup that he certainly made up for. Um, Washington had an interception. Uh, they slipped Nick Troy Fortune in without any incident there. The safeties were okay. And that's good because maybe you can heat it up a little bit. I'm not sure you want to heat up Kelly Bryant. That might be a little bit dangerous. I think he's going to be a good athlete, be able to run around a little bit. Um, he did not have a great game against Wyoming, but had some numbers and, and looked the part at times. Um, also had a brutal interception in the end zone that really kind of swung the game. Um, but that defensive line really got after him, and it was by and large Dante Stills and Darius Stills. And then you would get some contributions from a Taj Austin or from – the bandit position every so often on the big interception. Um, that was the Diamante Lindsay coming from the will spot on a blitz and just kind of being in the right spot at the right time. I'm not even sure if he was blitzing, if it was much as just that the quarterback crossed in front of his face and he didn't have anybody to go after. So go get the quarterback. And that turned out to be a, a huge play. So yeah, the aggression kind of, kind of helped and it did get a little concerning at times where it looked like they were just trying to take Darius Stills out of the game and challenge uh, Tonkery and Chandler. And on that big touchdown drive, um, Jake Abbott was in the middle, um, just trying to challenge him to make plays. And West Virginia was getting hit, you know, four or five yards down the field and giving up another one or two yards after contact. And that concerned me a little bit because that's a pretty good offensive line. It's not the best offensive line they're going to see. It's a pretty good running game. It's not the best running game they're going to see. Um, that was a mouthful early in the season. And, and I'm wondering, do you get a little bit worried there? Or is that just one of those things that, all right, we saw it. And now we got to figure out how to fix it. Well, there's a couple of things that you touched on that, that, uh, that interests me. The first I, I want to throw back on you was the, the safety spot. You mentioned late here, uh, the last drive, you have Kerry Martin out there, a true freshman at safety as your last line of defense on that last play. Uh, not the final play of the game, but second to last or third to last, right before the sack that uh, essentially ended the game. Defending that last pass, you have Kerry Martin, who just arrived a few months ago onto campus uh, as your last line of defense for West Virginia. Um, we've discussed that safety spot and how bare it is with the transfers this offseason. Uh, I found it interesting that, that he was the guy that, that Koenig turned to at that point. Yeah, they um, sneaked uh, Jake Long in on that snap, too, as an extra, you know, D-back. Um, 
Yeah, and you're right. Martin was out there. Martin played a lot, though. And, and I think, by and large, did okay and made some plays. Um, but, yeah, like, you're, you're, you're kind of in a do-or-die spot. And it was going to take a miracle at that point, and it obviously didn't happen. But that was interesting. And then, you know, Mahone played a lot and kind of gave Tyke Smith a, just a handful of snaps. But I thought Mahone did fine at, uh, at the cat safety and, and kind of sneaked up and played like a, almost like a linebacker at times, just being near the action when they needed an extra body in there. But um, once they figure out, or if they figure out how to use those two, uh, Norwood and Mahone, cat and free, um, that can help them out and, and give them numbers up front. And I think, if, again, if the corners play okay, you can do a little bit more with one of those safeties. And I think we saw that at times today. Mahone ended up with six tackles and four of them were solo. Um, which means you know, he was involved by himself, but he was also running down and helping out plays too. Okay, so the, the cornerbacks, what do you, what do you take from that? I, I thought a Bailey played extremely well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of big pass breakups. Did did you feel comfortable with with, with their their play today, Bailey yeah. and Washington mostly? Yeah, Washington, I don't really worry about. Um, and I think he's kind of in a good spot where he didn't really have to practice a whole lot during camp. He was kind of banged up at times, and you know he he's in a good spot now. Um, and I think that. He, he is kind of one, the person now who has kind of earned that distinction of, you know, he's going to be there every down in every series as long as you let him. He's not going to waver and he's not going to make bad plays. Bailey's the one you worry about just because he's been so up and down. But, you know, once again, had a great camp. And then, again, I thought he covered things really well and made tackles when he did get picked out. Um, that was fine with me. And, again, on one drive, he got spun around on a, on a pretty good route by the receiver. And just give up the inside and, you know, the quarterback saw, you know, his name and decided to throw it at him. So that happens. But he ended up breaking up a pass in the end zone there where he got inside a tight end who was 6'5", 240. Not an easy thing to do. And he knocked down what would have been a touchdown pass. So uh, to me, that's a really good start because, you know, no Dre Miller. It didn't see a lot of fortune in Mayo. I don't believe to Corey Turner played. So it was by and large just two guys really um, – in, in, in some pace and tempo, and, and they were throwing snaps at him. They were moving the ball and getting first down. So um, the fact that they didn't get picked on a bunch and that they didn't get things over their head, that's good to me. And, again, these things are all tied together, too, where, you know, if the defensive line gets some rush, that abbreviates plays, that helps the corners. If the corners can, you know, cover for four seconds, that kind of makes things easier on, you know, a second rush, um, a second wave of rush. And, and the, the safeties can stay over top, then – you know, they can make sure that the corners can take some chances, but if the corners cover, you can do one more person from the safety spot into the run game. So uh, to me, that's that's optimistic. I think that helps. What about offense? Uh, Trouble. Yeah. yeah. It's a good start. That's a, I, yeah. uh, I thought Kendall played pretty well in the second half. I think I think he was just juiced up for the first game, and I don't blame him for that. Um, I also think James Madison made things hard. They were pretty good, and they they – held the ball and they moved the ball and um, it was kind of hard for Kendall to get going. Sometimes he had some drops that were not his fault. He missed a couple throws on third downs where you know, the play worked and he just didn't snip it like he's supposed to um, one to TJ Simmons and one to Tevin Bush. But, you know, he, he hit Simmons on some plays. He obviously threw a touchdown pass to Bush. So it's not like they went away from things or people. Uh, they just kind of stuck with it and went. And that was that was encouraging to me. I kind of figured if they got behind, uh, you, you might panic. You might sense panic. It never really happened. They stuck with their plan and said, hey, it's 60 minutes. You know, we got more players. Probably have one to 85 better players, right? So that was a good sign there. Um, 
What was really troubling, though, was that we thought the strength of the team was the composition of the running back position. Uh, no Liddy Brown today. I don't think that matters. Um, they did not run the ball very well. I think, what, 34 yards on 24 attempts. Um, math, not my strong suit. That's terrible. How much is that, how much of that is on the running backs though, and how much of that is on that offensive line play? I would give James Madison credit; they wouldn't let him string anything out, and they were faster and were able to outflank him on the times they didn't try to go outside zone. Uh, so that was good. And then I think that some of it is West Virginia was really, really bland on offense. Um, that was probably by design, I think, and thought they could do some things. Or don't forget this: probably didn't want to task their offensive line with trying stuff they're not good at yet. Um, or maybe that they are get good at, and they're just kind of getting better at it. And maybe next week you're a little bit more uh, advanced and you're more capable with it. Um, I would be surprised if they called more than like four running plays during the game. I don't think I saw any counter action. Um, maybe a couple of times that a guard pulled. It was mostly inside zone, outside zone, and just stuck where they stuck it in the quarter, the running back's belly, and let him go. And Austin Kendall probably could have had, I'm, I'm, let's say conservatively here, 1,200 yards rushing. So, so that that was the thing that stuck out to me, and I really wanted to touch on that. Was is it a read option if there is no option? Because I Kendall for the entire first half did not run the ball a single time. Never even felt like you truly faked it. Uh, and, and you could watch JMU's defense; they would it, it just gradually went from they had a guy ready to kind of keep contain or even spy on Kendall to eventually everyone's just converging on the running back. And Kendall was not even a threat for that entire first half and, and eventually ended up with, uh, I'm looking at three carries for zero yards for the game. And, and I'm not even sure all three of those carries were part of the read option. I think one of them was a scramble even. What was going on there? You, hey, you got to talk to Jed. You got smarter. <laughs> what was going on there? I think that his job was to hand it off. Um, okay. and, and let's not do anything with, um, any type of quarterback action until next week. One thing that stands out to me was that they did motion, um, a receiver or a second running back into the play sometimes. And the give would go to the running back, whereas the motion person would continue on to the outside. And that was curious to me because that's kind of like triple option there. If it was, I think that might have just been window dressing for a handoff and just extra stuff. I think that maybe Kendall was just carrying out fakes and it's going to be a handoff, but he's going to try to do everything he can to take a defender with him and kind of help out with the numbers. Um, so that was maybe the plan, I think. And he kind of said his job was to let the running backs protect the ball and try to, you know, move the ball that way. So perhaps that was true, but I, I can't see a scenario in the future where that running game gets better if they're just going to play 11 on 10, he's got to be a part of it because if the quarterback runs, you have a hat advantage because typically defenses don't account for the running back um, unless you have to. And when that end can crash or when that linebacker can scrape, it makes it really easier to handle it like you did today. And again, if you're just handing the ball into the middle, you, your eyes focus on where to go. It's just like a running back or quarterback when you move the pocket. If you as a linebacker or a defensive end or any type of pass rusher, if you know that the quarterback's just going to take a straight drop back and be in the same time, you don't have to worry so much about your surroundings or your periphery. You just go to a spot and you deal with the quarterback when he gets there. But the quarterback moves in the pocket. If he 
dances a little bit, if they roll them out, well, now your target point changes and it's harder as a pass rusher. Same thing applies to playing the run right now, too. If it's going to the same spot, if you're going in between, you know, the tackles every time, it makes it a lot easier to defend. And I think James Madison just started sicking guys into that box and making plays. Big picture. Does today change anything about how you feel about the season? No, I mean, I had this one as a win. I mean, I wasn't down on this one. Like, I thought they could have lost. I think it's troubling that you're, you know, you don't have a touchdown in the first half and you're trailing for 32 minutes against an FCS team. But I think I saw a lot of stuff that was good. I think there's no question they have talent on offense. And I think Kendall was better. They missed a couple deep balls that are probably going to be there again in the future. They probably will push the ball more, I think, because Kendall seemed like he got more confident. Uh, there was hardly any play action today, which is interesting to me, too. And I think that's going to be a strong point. Um, I can't believe they're going to be bad running the ball. I think they're going to get Sinkfield involved more. Letty Brown is a, another guy they can run in there. I'm not sure if they really think that Sinkfield can hammer inside. So maybe they took his runs away today and they just didn't have that Letty Brown factor. So that might have hurt a little bit. And I think the defense can only get better once they figure some you know, things out. I do have concerns about linebacker now that I did not necessarily have before. We can talk about that right now, though. Um, <laughs> that felt pretty good before. And now I don't feel quite as good about that. Would you agree? I, I would. Um, cause obviously you see Josh Chandler with 14 tackles, which seems great and, and nothing against Chandler. I think he played well. I think he was there to make the tackles when was needed, which in part is a problem that, that he's having to make all those tackles that they're not being made in front of him. But it, my thought is where is everybody else? Where is everybody else on that defensive uh, or on the linebacker front? We saw X three low make a few plays, but as you noted during the game, he plays the same position as Chandler. So he was making plays when Chandler was out. So who's making the plays alongside those guys? We need, there needs to be somebody else on that in that linebacking core that's making plays. And I, to be quite frank, I, other than Chandler and, and the occasional uh, snap from low, I wasn't even aware that there were linebackers out there from time to time. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yeah, I did not see Shea Campbell at all, which means they just played with two middle linebackers. That's not good. Um, Tonkery, I'm going to say, probably is not going to hold up for the push of the season if he has to play that many snaps. Um, I'm not sure how much help Jake Abbott is right now. I think later on he can be a contributor. But again, if you're splitting those snaps among two players, that's going to be troublesome once you get later on in the season. So they need Campbell or somebody else. And we can talk about a somebody else in a second here. 
Uh, maybe it's somebody you mentioned. Maybe it's somebody who's not eligible for a few more games. But a couple of things that seemed interesting to me. One, kind of how they use the safety. Um, also, it looks like they're going to play Jeff Pooler at Bandit now, which is yeah. strange to me. Um, but also, that's a bigger guy. And if he can learn how to hold up against the run and not just be a, a five technique, if he can do some nine stuff and also pressure the passer, but... You know, if he can get up and use his arms and his reach, that's good. Uh, they have a good thing going at the defensive end right now with Alston and um, Ruben Jones, who had a nice game. Pooler started, though, and he ended up playing snaps at Bandit because I don't think they know what to do yet. Um, Sandwich played, not very much. Qualls played, had two tackles. That's one less than Pooler. So I think they're going to try to figure out what to do there, which here's where I'm going now. Um, Pooler, Qualls. And then some people, let's say, for the third spot, that leaves a guy like Sandwich. It leaves a guy like, I don't know, Vandarius Cowan, who are bigger than the options present right now in the middle. Are we thinking, you know, chess two or three moves ahead here now? Could there be some type of shift in the middle to help out? Because Koenig said they need three people there. They only had two today. Uh, it, 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 what it makes me think about it was something I mentioned prior to the season opener early on this weekend was that that you know somebody told me with the walkthrough a a week before the season opener that yeah the quote-unquote they run a 4-2-5 but at times there were running defenses where there was only one true linebacker during these walkthroughs and I think this is I, I think that's becoming out of necessity. I, I, I think the best players, if you're just picking the best 11 defensive players, you're going to end up with something that, you know, for lack of a better kind of breakdown here, is like a 5-1-5, five, five, mm-hmm. something similar to that. Five kind of defensive backs and, and one true linebacker and then five, you know, three down linemen and two kind of edge rushers, I, I think is where this is trending at the moment as far as the best players for this defense i don't think Lowe can play in the middle so he's gonna have to make the most out of his snaps which is a shame because they need somebody that can make something happen in the middle right now yeah but he might get lost in there he might get swallowed up and that's not good because again if you start doubling the nose and trying to get your hands on the mic which is kind of what's apparently a good idea um he's not big enough i think to hold up right now um, so that could be an issue, but I love him attacking from an outside spot. So that might be good. And I think what we will we'll find is they had ways to junk up things and to chop up the line and get some pressure. Can they do the same thing and just get a guy into the middle to where he can make plays? That would be interesting. And I think Chandler did a good job of that today. And I think, um, actually early on when Reigns made a play and forced a fumble, they got him and he squared inside and he squared somebody up and hit him. So there's ways to do it. It's, it's kind of like mad science right now. Um, I just, I just wonder, it's kind of fun to think about and who knows we're talking one game. This is probably reactionary, but you know, if they find some bandits, could Cowan play inside? He was the Mike before, right to the end of camp. And he became the bandit. Um, we don't know what necessitated Quan Darius Qualls moving there, but if, for example, it wasn't happening at Bandit, and they moved somebody else in there, that means that maybe Cowan is replaceable. Um, perhaps Sandwich can move inside. He's not unfamiliar with the position. Perhaps Adam Hensley can move inside. He's not unfamiliar with the position. I just think that's a spot they're going to have to do something to address because it's a giant neon arrow pointing over the field right now, right there. Is the answer Rex Sunahara the best open field tackler on the team? Evan Staley had a hit today, too. <laughs> 
Hey, they're teaching oh, it, right? Man, special teams right up your alley. You were so excited today. Speaking of, <laughs> Josh Gurdon is going to become a fan favorite here before long. Did you see how mad he was when, uh, oh, man, I forgot <laughs> who it was that picked, that picked up the punt before it finished rolling? It was fantastic because, well, first of all, he starts his first kick and it turns into a turnover. It wasn't a very good punt. It didn't get very high off the ground, but it, it completely fooled. It looked like a like a slider, like it, it went up and it came down really fast, and it fooled a really good punt returner, um, D'Angelo Amos, I believe is his name, who was like an All American, is about as good as it gets. He had a really bad day. He blew some coverages in the secondary. He fumbled a punt early in the game, um, so that's a heck of an introduction for Gruden. And then he starts like running to the left on his punts, and then hooking the ball to the right. Like, totally confusing the coverage. And the one you're talking about, it hopped. And it had a chance to you know, get a good roll, but it just jumped right up in the red basket of whoever was the gunner over there. And he was he was steamed about it, which <laughs> yeah, made me think, was. like, this guy right here is someone to watch. Well, I think, uh, obviously, you noted it. I think you might have been the first one to kind of bring it up that all the way back in the spring, punting was a problem. There wasn't even a punter for the spring game. And then... We get into fall camp, and West Virginia doesn't even actually truly have a punter, maybe? Probably not. And then Groudon just kind of falls in their lap. I think this is um, – and he's good. So this is a, a welcomed addition for West Virginia, I would think. We'll see how good he is. Um, he, he did his thing where he got the ball inside the spot a couple times, and that's good. He uncorked a 60-yarder, which sounds good, but it netted 40 because it went into the end zone, and if it had – if he had just pulled a little bit off, it would have done exactly what it was supposed to do. But I, I like the fact that he's kind of varying his kicks. And, again, running hard to your left and then hooking the ball to the right, that's going to screw some teams. And it's going to make your preparation difficult, too. I want to remember – I want everybody to remember this, too. Um, something Brown said early on in the season was that um, when you have a left-footed punter and you use a right-footed punter in a game, it can really tinker with the team and make them practice stuff. He hasn't used a second punter yet. And I don't know if he will, but – that's I kind of think of how much they think they can weaponize special teams and, and make it a little bit different here. Let's do two things before we go. Um, we haven't said a lot of nice stuff yet, which is probably unfair because they did win, and there were some good performances. Um, optimistic for you. Someone, something? The Stills brothers. Yeah. Uh, they were wildly disruptive, I felt like, on the defensive line. Uh, I think you and I both were on this same boat here about Dante being a potential starter at that defense quote defensive tackle spot um and yeah obviously he was great last year he uh, earned freshman all-american honors from espn and the athletic uh and that was in limited snaps i think he'll probably maybe kind of be on on pace for a similar number of snaps, but maybe kind of earn his way into more especially if he keeps playing like the way he did but uh, darius was truly I don't want to say a surprise. I mean, obviously he's a starter, but he was really disruptive too. Uh, Dante got all the pub when they were in high school, uh, the U.S. Army All-American and the f- top 247 recruit, four stars, all that. And Darius kind of was like a low three-star, uh, very lowly recruited, you know, was committed to Rutgers, and that was about it. And then West Virginia came through, and he's doing just as well as Dante at the, at the college level. So I think the two of them together – has been a very pleasant surprise, especially today. 
I have a great analogy for my three things. Oh, piece coming out today. Oh, I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to use it. Oh. Um, I, I, I think this is just a collective one for me. Um, not a lot went wrong. And I mean, they played clean, mostly clean on offense, some drops that, Hey, it happens. Um, some overthrows again. Hey, it happens. This is not the expectation of perfection here. I understand that penalties were costly when they happened. Third downs that happened, but didn't blow any coverages, didn't have any yakety sacks plays on special teams or defense. Um, and, and when they had to sit down and do some stuff, they did. You know, they, they came out really impressively to start the third quarter. They took advantage of some turnovers. So that was good. So, again, something that Brown talked about was our worst play cannot be the worst type of play. You know, our bad has to be okay. And their bad was okay today. That was acceptable, I think. And something that stands out to me they won a game today without a red zone possession. Not even Wait, a red that, zone. Score. Is that accurate? They oh, were 0 for 0. They were 0 for 0 in the red zone. They had a 28 yard touchdown. Um, I think all of Staley's field goals were deep, right? Oh, well, I'll be damned. Zero for zero. Is that true? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So, again, this is not a team that is going to march down the field on you because the margin of error is what it is right now, right? So they're going to have, as they did, a 10-play, 30-yard drive, which is a thing of beauty, right? <laughs> they're gonna, and that was that ended in a field goal. They're going to have, you know, 11-play, 53-yard drive. So those are the two field goal drives, 10 plays, 30 yards, 11 plays, 53 yards. Um, and a touchdown drive was seven plays, 82 yards, and it was a 28-yard touchdown. So um, not a big strike, you know, put fear in your heart offense right now, but – Got out of their way, you know, didn't didn't make things more complicated at times. And for a first time out with so many people doing things um, that are new to them or unusual or expanded upon previous experiences. I think that's a good sign. Well, you can't argue with the uh, single winningest coach in West Virginia history, Neil Brown, at the moment. Mm -hmm. So I I think you're right. You and your boy, Neil, uh, have a bright future going on right now. Hey, I lied. Last one. Um, this could be something we do every week too. What oh, is what's the storyline that comes out of Tuesday's media availability? What do you think Ooh. we're writing about or talking about? On Tuesday. Got a couple days to look at the film. He does a conference call. He has his meetings. And then Tuesday he's got his news conference. The coordinators have their cues of things to talk about. Players obviously have things that have been drilled in their head the past couple of days. What do you think it is? So I know what it is for me, but I just don't know if they'll they'll come right out and say it. But for me personally, it's open season on the offensive line. I'm not sure there's more than three, two, maybe three jobs safe at the moment. I think there has to be a full kind of retool there um, to figure it out. As we mentioned earlier in this podcast, you noted in the offseason that Josh Sills may be the best option at right tackle. And I 100% agree with that at the moment. I think that might be the move. It was a really rough day for Kelby Wickline. I don't want to overreact to one single game, but it was not his best day. It was not the best day for a lot of guys in the offensive line, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But I think they got to kind of reevaluate a lot of things there. Mine probably dovetails off yours a little bit. Uh, running game. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not good what they did today. And again, is it Brown? I don't know, but and, uh, only two touches for Sinkfield on offense, and I thought he'd be a bigger part of it. I think there's some things built in. So I think that you can kind of go at this if you're the coaches and say, hey, you got to be better. But you also know you're going you're gonna to arm them with some better things. But um, m- 
Wyoming is not to be confused with Oklahoma's wishbone or anything like that. They were sitting on 299 yards rushing when they took a knee to end the game today against Missouri. Missouri is supposed to be a big old SEC team with a, a mean front, and they got beat up. Uh, quarterback had over 100, a running back had over 100. Um, they gave up seven yards a carry. Two long runs, like a 75 and a 60-yard touchdown. They're right for the picking if West Virginia can pick the right poison here. Well, I think uh, – so are you trying to say West Virginia is going to go 3-0 and in non-conference play, Mike? Is that what you're <laughs> saying right now? Isn't that funny how it changed so quickly, too? Ladies and gentlemen, there it is. No, Mike no. says a 3-0 and non-conference I, play. He predicted it right here on the podcast. <laughs> I will say that they're going to have their hands full. Brian, I'm looking at his numbers now. I said he wasn't great. He threw for 423 yards um, and had – you know, some, some plays where he looked like a guy who was, oh, yeah, he was on the national champion last year. Um, but he also had some plays where it, it didn't, didn't work out great. And turnovers hurt him, and I'm sure that, you know, they'll be expecting, like West Virginia, to get a lot better before their second game. Yeah. You're right. I, I'm with you with the just kind of how does this affect my overall view of this season. Not much defense was what I thought it was going to be. I thought the offense might kind of click a little bit more as the game went on. Not quite what I expected it to be, but a tight game, West Virginia eventually holding on, defense causing some turnovers, getting beat on a few big plays. It, it, it It's a win, I think, is pretty much what we can leave it at, and, and there are no glaring huge issues. Yeah, I mean, if they lost, then the, the sun probably does come up on Sunday still, but you know, it's a much different story, and that season – while one week shorter is a heck of a lot longer. Ed, are you doing more stories on Neil Brown's aggressiveness on in the late game in this situation? What do you think about that? I thought it was uh, not only well, <laughs> well written, but like I actually thought it was a good point that you know I, he was. I don't. I mean, he kind of trusts his defense, but hey, if I catch that pass, we're out of there. We're not even dealing with it. And uh, I don't know. It was bold. It was bold. It was bold. It was bold. I, uh, I'm i typically on the, the, the be aggressive bandwagon, but I think I'm trying to remember the exact math, but I think if you just run three times, you're punting back to JMU with 20 seconds left, oh, maybe, yeah. and they got to go 80 yards with 20 seconds, if that. So I think, eh. I think then I'm just kind of sucking it up and being super conservative, which is not, not typical of me, but... That's where I would have gone there, but yeah. yeah, you know, it was there. I mean, the the play worked perfectly, and it was. It there. was, yeah, yeah. You're right. It it was. It should have been made, but. Oh, well, hey. yeah. What can you do? Well, we can wrap it up here. Um, we're gonna get better between the first and second game too. <laughs> but we'll wrap hey. it up right now. Late on a Saturday night, the wedding is over. My long day is over. That is all for this time. We will see you next time for earsports.com. I am Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will see you next time.